You're going to love this. Just love it. Ring that bell, baby. This week I do. I got the feeling that something right. Because it's not right for I'm so a change. Scared in case I, fall off my chair. I remain not and scared. I'll get down the stairs. And there are no stairs here. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with yes, you. Yes, I am. Stuck in the middle with you. In the middle of... Uh, the middle of the summer, the middle of the week, the middle of Los Angeles on 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. That's right, KPFK, your Pacifica radio outlet. Also, KYAQ, 91.7 FM on Oregon's Central Coast. And, of course, coast-to-coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, and, of course, now on iTunes, where we hope to earn your five-star rating by the end of today's program. This is your Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Delighted to join you uh, live from Los Angeles as the uh, summer, new summer from hell continues, continues to continue. Uh, we're going to be uh, joined by a guest shortly, uh, Desi Doyen. Let me know when uh, when we've got him on the phone. Uh, Desi will also be joining me, as always, a little bit later this hour with the Green News Report. And more evidence that the fracking industry is, I, I can't believe this, is lying to us? What? Is breaking the law? What? The fracking industry? Not my fracking industry. Say it ain't so. Uh, Also, as it turns out, as we'll talk about with Desi, uh, Republican lawmakers secretly agree with the science on global warming. They're just too cowardly to say it out loud. We'll have more on that later in the program. But first, protests continue at this hour in Ferguson, Missouri, after the police killing of unarmed African-American teen Michael Brown. Aside from the horror of Brown being shot in cold blood six times by Ferguson police officer Darren Wilson, uh, I think Americans have become horrified all over again by the scenes that followed of armed militarized robocops filling the streets of Ferguson and exacerbating tensions rather than calming them or keeping the peace. I wrote about it last week at bradblog.com and uh, this week at salon.com. A tale of two protests asking where are these big, bad Tea Party patriots with their big guns, their big semi-automatic rifles that they were pointing at law enforcement agents in Bunkerville, Nevada earlier this year to protect a scofflaw rancher. Cliven Bundy, who stole a million dollars, stole more than a million dollars from the federal government 
claiming that they were there to fight against big government tyranny. Where are those people? Where are those Tea Party pretend patriots? With MRAPs and uh, armored Humvees now rolling through the streets, the tear gas-filled streets of Ferguson, Missouri, in the face of largely peaceful, unarmed protesters, where are those pretend patriots now? I would argue that, uh, if anything, if anything... The armed, threatening Bundy Bunch protesters earlier this year, those protesting, frankly, against nothing, uh, they made the case in favor of arming up law enforcement because, after all, they got to face off against these guys, these guys who are, uh, you know, pointing semi-automatic assault rifles at their heads. They have to protect themselves. Meanwhile, in Ferguson, Missouri, where the theme of the protest has been hands up, don't shoot, the armed protesters uh, have made the police, frankly, look foolish and embarrassing. I think when uh, the tear gas uh, clears that uh, these protesters may ultimately be seen, the ones in Ferguson, Missouri, may ultimately be seen as having done a hell of a lot more to stop the ridiculous over-militarization of our police forces than their pretend Bundy Bunch patriots in, uh, in Nevada ever did. Now, in the wake of the ridiculous, frankly, overwhelming militarized force seen in the streets of Ferguson... Over the past uh, week and a half or two, Republicans like Senator Rand Paul were led to condemn this militarization, describing it in a Time magazine op-ed as, quote, systematic prob- a systematic problem with today's law enforcement. He said there should be a difference between a police response and a military response to street protests. Rand Paul wrote that Washington has incentivized the militarization of local police precincts by using federal dollars to help municipal governments build what are essentially small armies where police departments compete to acquire military gear. They don't have to compete very hard, just handing it out, where they compete to acquire military gear that goes far beyond what most of Americans think of as law enforcement, he wrote in Time magazine. Concerns about that militarization have been so far, uh, by those of us who have spoken up anyway, uh, they've been bipartisan. Democratic Senator Bernie Sanders echoed Rand Paul's uh, sentiments this week. If there is any silver lining uh, in the tragedy of Ferguson is that I hope we learn some very important lessons. When you see the kind of force that's being used in Ferguson, it really does make it appear that the police department there is an occupying army in a hostile territory. And that is absolutely not what we want to see in the United States. So I think we've got to rethink a lot of this heavy equipment that police departments around the country are utilizing. Yeah, you think? We ought to rethink it. The president also discussed those very same concerns at a press briefing earlier this week. You know, there is a big difference between our military and our local law enforcement, and we don't want those lines blurred. Uh, that would be contrary to our traditions. Uh, and I think that there will be some bipartisan interest in re-examining uh, some of those programs. Yeah, well, there is a bipartisan interest. How large it is remains to be seen. Now, these concerns, I should add, they're not new. We saw uh, how peaceful Occupy Wall Street demonstrations were crushed in city after city, in state after state. 
by similarly outsized uh, RoboCop police forces armed with surplus equipment from the Iraq and Afghanistan wars obtained for free under the uh, Department of Defense's 1033 program. For some reason, and I couldn't tell you why, you might be able to, but for some reason the folks weren't speaking out about it back then when they saw these, uh, you know, the, these tanks rolling in and crushing these peaceful demonstrations during Occupy. But now they are, for whatever reason. Well, uh, some folks, not the Bundy Bunch and those pretend patriots. But anyway, people are now talking about it. This is a good thing. According to an Associated Press investigation last year, a large share of the $4.2 billion in surplus military gear distributed by that uh, 1033 program since 1990 went to police and sheriff's departments in rural areas with few officers and little crime. Last March, before all of this Ferguson mess, in an op-ed US, in an op-ed in USA Today, Georgia's Democratic U.S. Congressman Hank Johnson, writing with Michael Shank, wrote that quote something potentially sinister is happening across America, and we should stop and take notice before it changes the character of our country forever. County, city, and small-town police departments across the country are now acquiring free military-grade weapons that could possibly be used, possibly? Possibly be used against the very citizens and taxpayers that not only fund the departments, but who the police are charged with protecting. Congressman Johnson uh, warned again back in March before the Ferguson protest that the Pentagon's 1033 program gives reason for Americans to, quote, be concerned unless they want their main streets patrolled in ways that mirror a war zone. That war zone, I would argue, is precisely what Americans have seen over the past uh, 10 days to two weeks on their uh, on their television, although a war zone uh, usually has two different groups fighting against each other. In this case, you've got largely peaceful protests and the militarized police who seem to be making things worse. Congressman Johnson has announced plans to introduce the Stop, Militar- the Stop Militarizing Law Enforcement Act in September, quote, to prevent the transfer of certain military-grade equipment from the Department of Defense to local law enforcement agencies and to account for the equipment that has already been transferred. Accountability as an idea. But can, a, but can a bill like this at this time actually get bipartisan support enough in our broken U.S. House and Senate to go anywhere? And even so, has the horse already left the barn on this thing? Will a bill like this make any difference now that our nation's local police forces are armed to the teeth like military units in Fallujah at the height of the Iraq War? Well, let's find out. To answer some of those questions, I'm joined tonight by the congressman planning to introduce the Stop Militarizing Law Enforcement Act, the Democratic U.S. representative from Georgia's 4th District Congressman Hank Johnson joins us on the broadcast. Welcome, Congressman. Always great to talk to you. Uh, Welcome back to the broadcast. Well, thank you, Brad. It's been a been a while, but always good to be with you. Uh, and with you, sir. Okay, I don't know if you heard uh, much of my introduction there, but uh, did I adequately explain what this bill that you are proposing uh, will do? What is your uh, main hope with this uh, with this legislation? Well, my main hope is to stop the flow of this military uh, grade equipment to. Uh, local law enforcement 
government agencies throughout America. We've been flooding the streets with the surplus military weaponry, and um, and I think the situation in Ferguson exemplifies what happens when you have too much powerful equipment in the hands of folks who don't really have the judgment or the training to uh, utilize it uh, properly. Well, e- so I want to yeah. I want to uh, make sure that uh, that we stop the proliferation of this uh, military grade equipment on our streets and in our communities. Has the horse already left the barn on this, Congressman? In in your legislation, you write that it's yet to be uh, introduced, but I've got a copy here. You write that more than $4 billion worth of weapons and equipment have been transferred to police organizations in all 50 states and four territories through the program. Uh, is it too late? Would stopping the sale or the, the transfer of these MRAPs and these uh, Humvees, would that even ha- have an actual effect, given the fact that now... Uh, uh, tens of thousands of local police uh, departments already have this equipment. Well, now my legislation, which is uh, which would amend uh, Section 1033, which is a pen- Pentagon program, mm-hmm. will actually stem the flow of free surplus medical um, uh, gear um, hardware. Mm-hmm to uh, these law enforcement agencies. And uh, it will not prevent them from being able to acquire uh, that equipment on the open market. But I doubt whether or not many city councils or county commissions will authorize public dollars to be expended for an unnecessary purpose. And so this 1033 program... uh, bypasses that civilian authority that would normally make the decision to uh, either acquire this property or not. And it just leaves it in the hands of the uh, local law enforcement agency to fill out a one-page application which lists uh, whatever it is that that department might want. And uh, so long as that department can come and pick it up within uh, 14 days from submitting their application, uh, they can take possession of it. Yeah, they can. Ha- yeah. Oh, it's it's ridiculous what what has been ongoing now. But uh, my question, and, and by very, yeah, go ahead. It's been a very uh, quiet uh, proliferation, and it, it just uh, displayed itself in Ferguson, Missouri, recently. But we should say that uh, your bill, while it might stem the continuing tide of this, it doesn't really do anything uh, to uh, to put the genie back in the bottle, it seems, with uh, so many of these law enforcement agencies around the country, other than, and I think this is important, uh, demand some accountability for this equipment. Uh, Congressman Johnson, you you have spoken about the fact that uh, a lot of these weapons are missing from these departments. Uh, are officers actually selling these things on eBay, as you suggested in your uh, USA Today uh, op-ed? Are they selling this? And how will your bill uh, keep that from happening, at least with uh, equipment that uh, have already been obtained by these uh, law enforcement agencies? Yeah, well, my bill uh, is trying to close the barn door that's been open for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, but 
I tell you, it's hard to uh, to get the uh, mustard back in the uh, jar <laughs> on a situation like this. And uh, so, you know, we just have to move it forward. Um, we can cause these agencies to have to account for the weapons that they have received. And if they cannot account for them, then that will ban them from the uh, 1033 program. So that's one way of getting at it. And then the second way is that uh, when a local law enforcement agency decides that they no longer wish to have this equipment, because you do have to maintain it, you Mm -hmm. have to store it, it's costly. And so once the department uh, determines that they don't want this property anymore, they have to turn it back into the Department of Defense as opposed to sell it as surplus property whereby people, anyone on the street could come in and purchase it. So as and of right exactly now, what, as exactly of, what's happening right now. They're allowed to actually acquire this equipment from the Defense Department and then sell it off to uh, to raise money for the uh, the local agency to profit the the police force it, it's theirs they can do anything they want with it put it on eBay uh, put an M ramp on eBay if if they so desire that's right so long as it's in keeping with the purchasing rules uh, for that particular jurisdiction they can dispose of it uh, however they see fit at this time and I might point out that uh, my uh, legislation will not ban the 1033 program, and there are a lot of surplus uh, Department of Defense articles that a law enforcement agency can certainly benefit from, and I don't want to stop uh, those items uh, from going to local law enforcement, things like pistols and and shotguns and traditional weaponry that uh, civilian law enforcement uh, utilizes Mm -hmm. to uh, protect and serve the people. So we're not trying to get rid of all of the property, but things like uh, MRAPs and armored uh, personnel carriers, uh, things like armed uh, armored drones, uh, stun gun grenades, uh, silencers. Why would a why would a police department need a weapon with a silencer on it? Why would they need a uh, rocket propelled uh, grenade launcher? You know. Yeah. Well, be- because they're playing a lot of Call of Duty, these cops, I think, and and they want to have the same equipment they have in their video games. It seems, uh, Congressman, I remember back during the uh, beginning of the Iraq War, actually through a lot of the Iraq War, uh, you had uh, troops complaining, confronting uh, the uh, the uh, Secretary of Defense at the time, Don Rumsfeld, uh, about the lack of armored Humvees, the lack of MRAPs, these mine-resistant vehicles uh, that were ava- available, and he famously responded uh, to those critics, you go to war with the military you have, not the military you want. We didn't have the equipment that we need, and now we're giving these vehicles away as if they won't ever be needed at any time in the future. And it kind of begs the question, and since you're a member of the House Armed Services Committee, uh, hopefully you can speak to this, uh, how much of this uh, Pentagon 1033 program transferring the military equipment to local law enforcement 
is really just an arms industry handout to keep the demand in the military still high and, you know, maybe leave us unequipped again uh, for our next actual war that goes on. Brad, you are putting your fingers on the uh, military-industrial complex that that, uh, President Eisenhower warned us about Mm -hmm. uh, as he left office. And, uh, you know, I am concerned about uh, our country and our allies having the equipment that is needed should we have to go to war. And so the whole Iraq war is just, uh, it it was a terrible mistake to begin with, and we're paying the price with the equipment coming back from Iraq going to uh, being employed uh, on the streets of America. And so it's uh, it truly is ironic. Well, it it is. And I wonder, you know, now that we're rattling swords again and putting some troops on the ground back in Iraq, if we're giving away all this equipment as if we're never going to need it again, I, I don't This just seems to me like it's a it's a boondoggle, you know, for the arms industry. Just keep uh, cranking this stuff out. We'll find a use for it. We'll blow it up in foreign countries uh, or we'll give it away to our uh, our own law enforcement official. And then we'll make more like Doritos. You know, don't worry. We'll make more. That's what it. Well, it, as long as we say it's for defense, then the taxpayers will uh, will spend the money. Right, because that's the most important thing: is defense. No, nothing else seems to matter these days, eh? No, no, no. Pro, uh, prosperity for all uh, is not uh, something that government should be spending any money on. Only for the defense of the nation. Yes, that's apparently what what seems to be the case. Uh, Congressman Hank Johnson, how um, how likely is this bill uh, to move forward, given the the broken Congress that we have? We, we've seen some bipartisan uh, support for this. Rand Paul uh, on the Republican side in the Senate. You see Claire McCaskill and Bernie, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders in the Senate on the Democratic side. Are you getting are you hearing from your Republican colleagues in the House, are they coming on board? Any of them uh, signing on to this program, uh, to this legislation that you hope to introduce uh, in September? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, I've had a couple of great uh, comments and um, suggestions for making this legislation better that I have adopted uh, from Republican members of the House. Um, However, I'm not at liberty to be able to say which ones are close to uh, coming on to this bill as co-sponsors. We don't have any uh, confirmed as of yet, but I do believe that uh, when I introduce it on September 7th or 8th, whichever date, Mm -hmm. um, I believe we'll have uh, bipartisanship in the House, and, uh, and it looks like there is a bipartisan movement uh, in the Senate, uh, and hopefully Rand Paul and Claire McCaskill will uh, agree to uh, sponsor this bill in the Senate. Both of their offices are, of course, looking at it. And what about Democrats in the House? I can't help but notice, you know, you've got uh, Jay Nixon, uh, the Democrat out there, uh, governor in uh, Missouri, uh, who was, you know, overseeing the deployment of much of this equipment during the Occupy 
uh, uh, protests where we saw similar crushing uh, of the protests by law enforcement. And in many cases, it was Democratic mayors around the country who were calling out uh, these big guns. Uh, are, are you hearing from your Democratic colleagues? Will they be signing on to this legislation, Congressman? Yes, lots of interest from uh, Democratic legislators, and some have agreed to uh, serve as co-sponsors on it. In both the Judiciary and Armed Services Committee, uh, can you can you name any names yet on the Democratic side? Uh, uh, Chairman Conyers, uh, Jim Moran, mm-hmm. and uh, there are a couple of others. All right. Well, I hope uh, if nothing else uh, comes out of this uh, mess in Ferguson, that at least we can move a bill like this forward when there is some bipartisan agreement. And uh, I I really do think that uh, the peaceful protests uh, in the streets with with you know hands up uh, really highlight just how absurd this situation has become, uh, and I think it's in stark contrast to what we saw earlier this year when you had Tea Party uh, protesters out there actually pointing guns at law enforcement, uh, sort of encouraging. Uh, you know, this this over militarization of the police. So if nothing else happens, uh, I hope this bill moves forward. You sound optimistic. Am I right to say that you sound optimistic, Congressman? Well, I I, I was uh, thinking about uh, you asking me uh, whether or not this could pass during this particular period of obstructionism. And my response that I was thinking would be that uh, you're trying to get me to display my cynicism. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I, have, I, I am uh, an eternal optimist, and I have, to look, uh, I have to look at things as if, yes, things can change right now, and we'll be able to uh, push this thing through. And uh, so that's the only way that I can look at it. I will not be disappointed if we have to uh, go back to the starting line and introduce it again in the next session of Congress and then work hard to get it passed during that session. Well, I I thank you for uh, having the foresight to take action on this uh, long before uh, Ferguson happened. I also thank you, uh, Congressman, for taking time out from your busy uh, five-day-a-month schedule that John Boehner currently has you guys on uh, oh, well, in the yes, U.S. House. So I have been overworked and <laughs> underpaid. <laughs> uh, thank you, Congressman. Always a delight to talk to you. Uh, good luck with this bill, and uh, please stay in touch as it moves forward. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see something happen. Uh, hell, at this point, anything happen in Congress. Uh, so uh, thanks for, for stepping up and, and working towards that end. Thanks, Brad, and uh, be safe. We know that uh, what's happening to civilians out here is also spilling over to uh, reporters and news gatherers, and um, and so we all have a, a interest in making sure that the fourth estate remains uh, uh, democratic as it should here in America. Thank you, sir. Small D Democratic. Uh, greatly appreciated. Congressman Hank Johnson, Democrat from Georgia's 4th District. Thanks for talking to us this afternoon. Thank you. And that's with a capital D. You got it. Okay. All right, All right sir. You. Take care.
something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Yeah Let's look what's going down, shall we? This is the Bradcast. We're going to take a quick break here, come back with much, much more, much more news out of Ferguson. Maybe some of your calls at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Will this mess in Ferguson make any difference when it comes to the militarization of our local police? And oh yeah, where the hell are the Tea Party Patriots? We got big government tyranny going on down in Missouri. Don't you people give a damn? I think that question answers itself. Uh, Stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with much more on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. A thousand people in the street Singing songs and a carrying signs Mostly say Michael Winterbottom's The Trip to Italy reunites the crackling chemistry of Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon in a hilarious follow-up to their previous culinary trip around northern England, The Trip. In gorgeous settings, they now retrace the romantic poet's grand tour of Italy to a soundtrack of Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill as their sparkling wit, banter, and spot-on impersonations frame gastronomic treasures along with self-reflection on friendship, family, and career. A brilliantly biting comic portrait of modern-day masculinity, The Trip to Italy opens on Friday, August 15th at The Landmark, 10850 West Pico Boulevard in Los Angeles. A limited number of tickets are available to KPFK Film Club members who are invited to call the front desk at 818-985-2711-0 for operator for a pair of tickets good Monday through Thursday only. And if you aren't already a Film Club member, please consider joining at kpfk.org. Now, you might also notice in that photo that the police are troublingly dressed like they're about to launch an assault on Fallujah. The police are not soldiers. So why, in this photo from Ferguson, are they wearing fucking camo? They are northwest of St. Louis, not northwest of the Amazon. <laughs> if they want to blend in with their surroundings, they should be dressed as a dollar store. And... <laughs> When Louis came home to the flat, he hung up his coat and his hat. He gazed all around, but no wifey he found. So he said, where can Flossie be at? A note on the table he spied. He read it just once, then he cried. It ran, Louis dear, it's too slow for me here. So I think I will go for a ride. Me in St. Louis, Louis, meet me at the fair. Yes, please Don't do. Tell me the you know, uh, it's a little embarrassing, uh, I have to say, being from St. Louis myself, being from St. Louis County myself, uh, it, it has been quite embarrassing to see a St. Louis County police department with these ridiculous MRAPs, uh, Humvees, whatever they have. Uh, I just, 
Well, anyway, welcome back to the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman. This is KPFK Pacifica Radio. You can uh, give us a call at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Or you can find me on the Twitters, at the Brad Blog, if you prefer. Uh, before we get to some of your uh, phone calls here, uh, Republicans call voter registration drive happening in Ferguson, Missouri, disgusting. This is just amazing. Uh, On Sunday, uh, this is in the New York Times, on Sunday, the Reverend Al Sharpton, civil rights activist, television host, mentioned that voter turnout in the Ferguson, Missouri area was a mere 12 percent in the last election. And he pledged to help boost that number with a registration drive. Twelve percent, he said, was an insult to your children. Uh, He wasn't the first to think of channeling the anger over Mike Brown's death in this particular direction. Twitter users on Saturday noted voter registration tables in front of the makeshift memorial where the unarmed teenager was shot by a Ferguson police officer. Encouraging more participation in the democratic process in a community that feels alienated from political power. Hence the demonstrations, writes Juliet Lapidos at New York Times. Seems like an obviously good idea and one that will... That's particularly compelling because it's so simple. Voting is an alternative to protesting in the streets. And yet the executive director of the Missouri Republican Party, Matt Wills, denounced the plan. Mr. Wills told the right-wing website Breitbart, good for you, New York Times, calling them right-wing, calling them what they are, not conservative, but right-wing. The right-wing website Breitbart The uh, executive director of the Missouri Republican Party said, quote, if that's not fanning the political flames, I don't know what is. I think it's not only disgusting, but completely inappropriate. On another right wing site, Red State Dan McLaughlin's also argued that there was something indecent about the registration drive. Ferguson represents an opportunity for right and left to find common ground, he wrote. But the minute, quote, the minute you turn your energies into just another effort to register Democratic voters and fire up the Democratic base in advance of an election, he argued, the harder you make it to keep the common ground from vanishing in the fog. Um, Mr. McLaughlin, who said anything about registering Democratic voters? They're setting up voting registration tables. That's it. Uh, People tweeted uh, as this was going on, voter registration for Ferguson residents is at the QT and the crime scene. Sign up, get on the juries, choose your leaders. Someone else tweeted, voter registration is a brilliant way to honor Michael Brown's memory. It's a positive reaction to a horrible situation. Nobody said anything about Democrats. Now, Ferguson is two-thirds African-American, and uh, the vast majority of their police force is white. And almost all of the local elected officials uh, are also white. The whites make up just 29 percent of the city's residents, according to Zach Roth at MSNBC. Five of Ferguson's six city council members are white, as is Mayor James Knowles. And six of the local school board's seven members are white. The Times' uh, uh, Juliet Lapidos goes on to note that Mr. Sharpton did not say that the residents of Ferguson should vote for Democrats. He said they should vote full stop. 
Isn't it telling, she adds, that both Mr. Wills and Mr. McLaughlin make no distinction between voter registration and Democratic registration? Yes, it is interesting. Oh, and by the way, for the record, Ferguson's local elections are nonpartisan. Imagine that. Uh, Let's go to uh, Matt in Topanga. Hey, Matt, welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind, sir? Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Important topic, as always, and so many these days. But, you know, I I just can't, of all how awful all this is, I think the positive thing that's going to ripple forward is this, you know, sunshine is the best disinfectant. We are going to see a lot more outrage spread throughout many communities until every cop has a camera and these kind of shenanigans can hopefully one day stop about hopefully the time we actually get a real democracy. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Uh, you know, interesting, Every uh, until every cop has a camera, uh, they've got the money. It's already been budgeted to Ferguson for these, uh, uh, these, ca- these dashboard cameras, these cop cameras. For some reason, though, they say they just haven't gotten around to installing them yet. They've installed the MRAPs, uh, the tear gas, the uh, everything else. They just haven't gotten around to the cameras. Imagine that. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, Barbara in North Hollywood, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thank you very much, Mr. Fer- uh, Freeman. Um, let's say I've been listening for about an hour to the program and the previous program, and of course um, um, it tears at our hearts, at everybody's hearts, what's happen- happening in Ferguson and mm-hmm. this young man who was murdered um, um what can you say is just horrible, but mm-hmm. I remember, I'm 65, and I remember, I'm thinking back when I was like 14, and there was a proposition out called Proposition 14, and it was, uh, those of us who were activists at that time were voting no on Proposition 14 and going from house to house. It was a proposition that made it illegal to um, discriminate um when buying or selling a house. I don't know if you remember that. I don't know how old you are. Sure, the redlining, uh, that was when redlining first became known to be a thing, and yeah, sure. I remember I was 13 years old when I first heard about Student Nonviolent mm-hmm. student nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and I wanted to join it, and as Stokely Carmichael had just become on the scene then, or I had just heard about him. And um, But anyway, I want to say that... Um, you know, it's a spiritual malady that this country is going through, that there's no 100% right or wrong, black or white, about anything. Uh, you could say Ferguson, Missouri, what's going on there is 100% wrong. But then again, as a woman, and a lot of women have experiences, and men too, young boys, women, girls, if I'm going to be kidnapped or raped or something like that, I'm not going to call um, a loving grandmother. I'm going to call a policeman. What's going on in Ferguson, Missouri, is completely a different story, completely a different subject. I would never support what's going on there. But um, there are, uh, I had an experience to encounter some policemen this year. And I'll tell you, I was uh, like a hippie in the 60s, and now I work with autistic children. I'm not a hippie. I'm working. I'm drug-free uh, 47 years and all that kind of stuff. But... Um, um, what I'm trying to get my thoughts together to say yeah. is that um, 
Um, you forgot your thought. Barbara, do you support the uh, – do you think the idea of the militarization of the police not. is necessary no, at this no, point? not. Okay. But the the uh, congressman, Hank Johnson, that was – he was so yeah. eloquent, and he was uh, – I'm sure he – I just know he was in the civil rights movement uh, from his early days. And um, – but I, I was going to say that I did um, have to encounter some police people – officers this year and i'll tell you it's not like what i thought it would be like these people these are people they were kind to me and loving and they helped me Uh, and and when i I hear people what they're doing in ferguson missouri it's a different breed of what's going on there are people who are policemen and firemen and whatever uh people who go to iraq people who go to afghanistan people who are decent human beings oh no question barbara and i'm sorry i gotta move on i got a lot of folks on the line uh sure uh, most of the folks of course are good uh the most of the folks in in the police forces i would argue across the country uh yeah there are some bad apples we don't even know what happened with darren wilson the guy who uh, who shot uh michael brown dead we don't know what happened there um i'm not making any judgments on him i'm saying Saying that, you know, we the people, we the taxpayers, uh, you know, fund these people, fund these departments to protect and serve us. And that's what seems to be uh, turned on its head right now. They seem to be protecting themselves, uh, serving themselves and making the case worse in our streets. Uh, and something needs to be done about it. And, you know, sunlight and talking about it and raising some holy hell just might uh, change that a bit. Lynette in Los Angeles, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. You know, I, I'm, I'm just really uh, disturbed about what's going on in L.A., mm-hmm. um, you know, with Ezell uh, uh, and with um, Michael in the Missouri, mm-hmm. you know, it is it's a disturbing thing, and I, I, um, I know that America has been uh, the story of two cities kind of a thing, you know, mm-hmm. and it still is continuing, and we still have to fight for the civil rights of not only blacks but everybody, but especially blacks, because uh, people say, well, you know, you don't vote, but then at the same time, we've had a lot of rollback on affirmative action, so you're not going to see a diversified police department, you know, in other places in the hierarchy of power, in the quarters of power. Well, uh, but I will and say then, this, Lynette, in, in a town like Ferguson, uh, where you've got uh, two-thirds of the community is African-Americans. Now, w- what, what they have done, what the county has done, is obviously uh, try to capitalize things on behalf of... Uh, frankly, Republicans, they hold their elections in off years instead of on on years. But the fact of the matter is, if voters want to see a change, they need to show up and vote. And again, oh, you know, you, 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 you know, you get me uh, on that. But what I'm saying is, is that the whole, um, you know, system, mm-hmm. the whole it, it's just I mean, it's corrupt. I mean, let's just put it out there the way it is. It's corrupt. And I don't know how else to say it. And we need a third party that's going to be inclusive. We have to get all these little splinter parties and put them together like the Green Party, the Labor Party and make one big old party. You know, <laughs> they say um, a hand is just a hand. But when you put all the fingers together and make a fist, that's when it's most powerful. There you so, go. Thanks, Lynette. That's what I'm saying. And we can run all those do-nothing congressmen out of there and and do something much more to what America really is. Because I just don't think in 2014 
this is really who we want to be and who we are in the name of God? I don't think so. Thanks, Lynette. Thank I, pre- I really appreciate the call. Uh, let me go to, uh, oh, we got uh, some news. Uh, CNN is reporting uh, that uh, St. Louis County police say a St. Anne, Missouri uh, police officer has been suspended after pointing an assault rifle at a protester in Ferguson. Well, that's nice. Some accountability. I'm sure he'll be back on the job soon, as soon as CNN and everybody else uh, leaves Ferguson. But, uh, hey, at least some accountability for two or three minutes out of there. Uh, Al in Los Angeles. Oh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Al in L.A., welcome to the broadcast. Hi. Hi. Uh, I, I, I take exception to, uh, you know, this thing about voting and registering. What what you know, do you take abs- it, uh, exception to? Well, I mean, if voting actually did anything, it would be illegal. You know, mm-hmm. we've got more minorities in government today than than in uh, the history of the country, and yet today uh, minorities are in worse shape than they've ever been. Minorities are in worse shape in this country than they have ever been? Al, you yes, want to stick I've with that? Heard of the industrial complex, the uh, prison industrial complex. Uh-huh. We've got more people in prison yes. than ever. Yes, we do. Uh, I, I think you we might want... more people living homeless yeah. than ever. Uh, I think you might want to rethink your thought about uh, things there are worse are in this country than killed. ever. There so, are more people getting killed in the streets mm-hmm. with guns and rifles and machine guns than ever. Really? So, Al, uh, Al, hang on a second. Al, let me respond to you. Give and take here, okay? So you, you're saying that slavery, returning to slavery for African Americans would be a step up from what we have now. Is that correct, Al? Uh, no. No. Okay. So if it's not a step up from where we are now, uh, your hyperbole that things are worse now than they ever have been before. Look, there's a lot of problems. They're not worse than they ever have been. And to suggest that voting doesn't change anything. Yes, it doesn't change enough. Uh, but to suggest it doesn't change anything, to suggest that the Civil Rights Act in this country hasn't changed anything, that the Voting Rights Act in this country hasn't changed anything. Hang on, Al. I'll give you a chance. That the the Voting Rights Act hasn't uh, uh, done anything. That Medicare, that Medicaid, uh, uh, frankly, that Obamacare has not done anything in this country to make things uh, better uh, is a lot of bluster, is a lot of hyperbole, is a lot of fun, perhaps, but it is just not accurate. So now, Al, your response. Well, all I can tell you is that since 1965, Yes, we the year been, the Voting Rights Act passed, yes. We have been going downhill as a nation. Our educational system is in worse shape. Our health care is in worse shape. We have more homeless people. We have a greater number of our citizens in prison. Ever since 1965, things have gotten worse. Since, since the uh, Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act passed, Things have gotten worse. Right. Got it. Okay. Thanks, yeah. Al. I, I appreciate your point of view. Uh, I couldn't disagree more with it, but I certainly appreciate it. All right. Uh, Desi Doyen, get on deck. Let me grab uh, one more call here before we go to the green news. Uh, let me go to Roy in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, hey, Roy, welcome to the broadcast. Very quickly, sir. 
Yes, Brad, I'm going to be real quick. If you just give me about 30 seconds. Go. I'm going to, just about 30 seconds. Listen, you know, this kind of killing, and I'm using that term, this kind of killing that takes place now, this took place back in the 1800s when Maywood, Oklahoma, when they dropped bombs on blacks. Then if you look back at the Brad Scott bill. The Dred Scott case, yes. The Dred Scott, yeah. You remember when they declared black folks as not being human? Yep. Well, I want to wake some coke. I want to wake up people. I ain't going to use no particular term. We have better stop, look, and pay attention. When before Christopher Columbus came here, <laughs> there was Negroes, there were Spaniards, 108 years. Now, if we weren't human enough, then... To stop and make this country what it is, ain't no kind of law going to change it. People got to change. People got to change the idiotic ways towards one another. And I can tell you, I'm out of South Carolina. I had some great people, and they were Caucasian, to help see me through. And I come along with Malcolm X. So if we don't change... By now, the police department has to change its way. But people have to change as a whole. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Roy. I do appreciate uh, your call and your sentiments. And you're absolutely right. Before we go to Green News, I lied. Uh, Ayana in Pasadena, let me give you 30 seconds. But a real 30 seconds, Ayana, not the kind that Roy took. Okay. Basically, it's the prison industrial complex and institutionalized racism that has gotten us to the point where we are today. And the fact that that gentleman caller had the audacity to say that minorities are worse off is really an indication of the current social climate of supposed post-racial America. And I, for one, as a black female, am appalled that these people are even allowed to speak in public because that's completely... It's, it's unfathomable that that information is allowed to be disseminated because that's the main reason why we are in this condition currently. And if I had longer than 30 seconds, I would give you historical reference. Well, books uh, that you could actually read that are in libraries. Books, libraries, never heard of Mayana. Listen, uh, the fact that uh, I would rather have that guy come out and say that out loud on our public airwaves to give uh, you the chance to respond and for all of us to understand that that's what some people still think out there. And, uh, and yes, yeah. and I agree. We yeah. do need to have a dialogue, but maybe we should include books in the dialogue so that we have actual facts. Oh, you and <laughs> you and your books and facts, Ayana. Thanks. I do. I really do appreciate the call. Uh, stay tuned to the broadcast and uh, call us again in the future. Really appreciate it. It's getting better all the time, Desi Doyen. It sure is. Uh, the, uh, um, an amazing week. I wish we had time for more calls uh, today, but I think we're running up against the clock. Yeah, some great calls today, and a lot of great calls on hold, too. I'm sorry, we're not going to get to all of them. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't know. You would. You would talk to them. I didn't <laughs> get to talk to them. Uh, let's go uh, instead, because equally as important to the future of this country and this planet, our latest Green News Report. 
We don't want to burn coal. We don't want to bur- breathe coal. And heck, we don't want to export it either. Well, heck, Oregon cancels proposed coal export facility. July 2014 was the fourth hottest July on record. Fracking industry illegally using diesel, threatening water supplies. Plus, I'm not qualified to debate the science over climate change. Oh, Republican politicians do accept climate change. They're just too cowardly to admit it. Ooh, snap. All of those cowards and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. In fact, the black soot spewed by coal rollers is often referred to as Prius repellent. Yeah, baby, Prius repellent. (laughs) The only other way to keep a Prius away from you is driving over 45 miles per hour. Oh, Prius slam. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, just to be fair to Priuses or Prii, we recently bought a really old Prius, 2006, drove from Phoenix to Los Angeles. That's about six hours. It required one single tank of gas, and I should add the Prius has just a 10-gallon tank. That's about 45 miles per gallon, and yes, we were able to drive much, much faster than 45 miles per hour. Just wanted to set the record straight there. Okay, good. I mean, it's it's no Tesla. Of course, we'd be happy to talk about Tesla if only they gave us a free one to use. But anyway, I digress. What do you have in today's Green News Report? Well, first, it's official. July 2014 was the fourth warmest July on record globally, following the world's hottest June on record. And we're now on track for 2014 to be the third hottest year on record, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Wait, June was the hottest on record globally? Yep. July is only the fourth hottest on record globally? Yep. The globe is cooling. You're welcome. (laughs) GOP. Well, hardly. To top it off, the world's oceans are now at the highest temperature ever recorded and have remained there for the third straight month. But don't expect any action on climate change from Washington anytime soon. Oh, I don't. I don't. We've reported before on Republicans' remarkable flip-flop on climate change since the 2008 presidential campaign. Yeah, here are some familiar Republican voices from before the 2008 presidential election. I believe that Man's activities certainly can be contributing to the issue of global warming, climate change. You're seeing climate change. I think human activity is contributing to it. The fact is, is that we have had climate change. Uh, they're, they're, clearly, uh, humans have something to do with it. That was then. This is now. Here's how Speaker John Boehner again. Well, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not qualified to debate the science over climate change. Well, now, Bloomberg News reports this week that many Republicans privately say they accept the scientific evidence of human-caused climate change and the need to act, but they are afraid to say so publicly, fearing a backlash from their extremist Tea Party base. Bloomberg interviewed dozens of current and former Republican politicians and lobbyists. They admitted off the record that Republicans won't feel free to speak about climate change until, quote, the Tea Party loses some of its power to influence elections or a severe weather event forces serious discussion of the issue. Very, very courageous of them. Trouble in fracking land. Two new studies add weight to the growing scientific evidence that the controversial drilling technique of fracking is a threat to water supplies. In the first study, researchers at Stanford University found that drillers in Wyoming are fracking for oil and gas at much shallower depths 
depths than the industry claims, and that they're even drilling through underground drinking water sources. That directly contradicts industry claims that they are drilling too deep to affect underground aquifers. But wait, there's more. Watchdog Group Environmental Integrity Project reviewed the industry's own data and found the fracking industry is flouting federal clean water regulations by illegally using diesel fuel in the toxic chemical fracking cocktail that they inject deep underground, finding at least 350 wells in 12 states were fracked by 33 different companies using diesel fuel without obtaining the required permits. I thought the use of the fracking fluid was exempt from the Clean Water Act. Uh, They would still have to report if they were using diesel fluid in there? Yes, a specific part of the law allows them to use diesel fuel if they get permission first. It's part of a growing body of evidence against the fracking industry. A recent analysis of fracking in Pennsylvania found that oil and gas drilling has harmed privately owned water supplies over 200 times in just five years. But there's some good news. Another proposed coal export terminal bites the dust. If it's being burned in Asia and China, is it any uh, less polluting to the children of China than it is to the children of America? I don't think so. That was Dr. Andy Harris of Physicians for Social Responsibility at a rally last year to stop a proposed coal export terminal from being built on the Columbia River in order to ship U.S. coal to China. Oregon's Department of State Lands listened, and now they have officially denied a crucial permit for that new proposed coal export terminal, citing the environmental impact that shipping 40 million metric tons of coal a year would have on the region's water, air, fisheries, and the people who live there. That makes four of six proposed coal export terminals that local tribal nations and grassroots groups have successfully blocked. Who says there are not victories to be had out there? Yep. For much more on all of the victories you may not have heard of, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. And another one gone, and another one gone, another one buys the dust. Hey, hey, we're gonna get to do another one buys the dust. And coming up on the next Green News Report tomorrow, we're going to have a new breakthrough from MIT, recycling your car battery into solar panels for cheap, and the salmon cannon. Salmon cannon. Yes, salmon cannon. Count me in. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to G, our soundboard operator. Uh, And thanks to all of you callers for calling in, even the guy who said things are worse now than ever. My thanks also to my guest, Congressman Hank Johnson, for joining us this afternoon. Stay tuned for John Wiener and the 4 o'clock report. He will have Rick Perlstein on the rise of Ronald Reagan. But I hope you'll listen to him anyway. Until next week, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and, of course, at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, world.